Today on the Matt Walsh Show, a new poll finds that 40%, yes, 40% of Gen Z identifies as LGBT. What in God's name is going on there? We'll try to figure that out today. And a witness in the Rittenhouse trial yesterday claims that the DA tried to get him to perjure himself. Plus, Jimmy Kimmel says that Americans only hate Kamala Harris because we're all sexist. And a truck driver launches a long shot campaign for the New Jersey Senate, wins, unseats a powerful incumbent. And now the media would like us to know that this is all very bad because uh, he's racist. Big shock. In our daily cancellation, we're told that climate change fears are giving millions of Americans PTSD. Is that true? We'll discuss that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. You know, as I've been complaining about with daylight savings time, it has, uh, for a lot of people, it's an extra hour of sleep. For me, it just it just deprives me of sleep even more because the kids wake up even earlier. And all that means is that for the time, that pr- those precious moments where I actually get to sleep, I need to make the most of it. And that's why I am uh, so happy to have my Helix Sleep mattress. I don't go anywhere without my Helix Sleep mattress. Uh, well, it's not qu- quite true, but if I could bring it with me, I would. Look, Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. If you like a mattress that's really soft or firm, if you sleep on your side or your back or your stomach or you sleep uh, really hot or cold, with Helix, there's a specific mattress for each and everybody's unique taste. You don't need to take their word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress of 2019 and 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Just go to helixsleep.com Walsh. Take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life, guaranteed. Right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off and free pillows with all mattress orders for our listeners at helixsleep.com Walsh. That's helixsleep.com Walsh for up to $200 off your mattress order. Recently, a study conducted by Arizona Christian University was published. George Barna, the university's cultural research center's director, led the research. To call the results of this research uh, striking would be a significant understatement. It's hard to come up with one single word to describe this, so uh, we'll just get into it. Here's the summary from an article in Newsweek. It says, 30% of millennials identify as LGBTQ, according to a soon-to-be-released study that's based on scientific polling data. Among Christians, the numbers were lower, but only slightly, with just under 30% of millennial Christians identifying as LGBTQ. The portion of the population that describes itself as gay has varied over the years from 10%, based on research by Alfred Kinsey, a widely promoted and widely promoted by the National Gay Task Force in 1977, to less than 6% in a recent Gallup poll. Now, a couple of notes about that before we look at these results more closely. Uh, you may recall from our discussion of Alfred Kinsey a couple months ago, that the 10% figure was completely bogus at the time. Kinsey wanted there to be a large portion of homosexuals in the country. He wanted to create a society where heterosexuality was but one mode of sexuality among an array of equal options. And so he falsified his research to, to kind of get the ball rolling, so to speak. He surveyed male prostitutes, sex offenders, men in prison, carefully choosing from non-representative samples of the population and then extrapolated all kinds of conclusions about male sexuality based on that. The prevalence of homosexuality was the least of what he falsely concluded. Now, this is relevant because it shows how there's been a very real plot, a plan. Yes, if you like, a conspiracy to fundamentally change human sexuality. It was set in motion by degenerate quacks like Alfred Kinsey and John Money, and now we're seeing uh, the fruits of their labor. So a little more from Newsweek. It says, The poll looked at so-called millennials, defined as someone born from 1984 to 2002, about 78 million individuals representing a quarter of U.S. population. Among millennials, 30% identifies LGBTQ, LGBTQ more than three times that of the rest of the adult population. 
And when the researchers broke out uh, the youngest of the group, ages 18 to 24, which is really Gen Z, they found 39% call themselves LGBTQ. Okay, so we're talking 40%, nearly 40% identifying as LGBT. Now, if this is true, if these numbers are anywhere close to accurate, then we are witnessing not even just a seismic shift in human sexuality, but a full-on transformation unlike anything the world has ever seen before. Many people, though, on both sides of the ideological divide, for different reasons, don't want to believe or admit that such a transformation is actually happening. So they have a few ways of trying to deny or mitigate results like this. On the left, they'll say that uh, this doesn't reflect a change at all. They'll claim that there have always been this many LGBT people in society, but they just didn't feel comfortable revealing themselves until now. That's, that's, that's what they'll say. But this is not credible because older generations have also been surveyed in our current day and age, where everybody is very accepting and tolerant and all of that. Older generations are also surveyed, and their numbers are much, much lower. So the left's theory kind of waves a magic wand over millions of Americans and declares that you know they're all closeted gays, with no evidence at all for such an assertion. Also, if we're looking at this from a purely biological and evolutionary perspective, it doesn't make any scientific sense that 40 or 50% or more of a species would be non-heterosexual. Now, the left claims that homosexuality is biological, right? Um, then if that's true, then a 40 or 50% figure simply could not happen for evolutionary reasons. Unless you want to argue that evolution isn't true. Keep in mind, the left loves to claim also that homosexual activity exists in the animal kingdom, right? You hear this all the time. Well, find me a species where nearly half are homosexual. That doesn't exist. It can't exist because such, such a species would go extinct. So this theory doesn't work. But you'll have people on the right who deny it as well, they, you know, simply because they don't want to believe that the LGBT brainwashing of kids has really been this tremendously successful. They just don't want to believe it. It's, 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 it's something that they can't wrap their heads around, and so they say, no, there's no way. And they'll say the numbers here are wrong. Yet the problem for them is that these results are just the latest in a long line of research conducted both by right-leaning and left-leaning organizations, and they all come to the same sort of conclusion. Gallup, as mentioned uh, by Newsweek, they did a major poll several months ago. They didn't find that 30 or 40% of Gen Z identify as LGBT, but they did find that 15% identified that way, and another 5% had no opinion about their own sexuality. So that's 20% not identifying as heterosexual. A smaller portion, but still 10 times their parents' generation and 20 times their grandparents' generation. So whether it's 20% or 30 or 40, it's almost splitting hairs. The point is that there is a trend here, a very dramatic trend. And it's a trend, again, spanning generations which rules out the other dismissive claim, which you still hear from some on the right, that this is all a fad, right? LGBT identification for the kids today, it's like what um, emo or goth was when I was a kid. But we know it's not just a fad of that sort because you find this trend, again, spanning generations. Starting with my grandparents, going all the way down to my kids' generation, LGBT identification has risen by large portions each step of the way until today. We also know that it's not just a fad because fads, when we were kids, were treated like fads. Adults would tell you 
you know, if you were a, a goth, an adult would say to you, this is a fad. You're, you're going to look back on this and be embarrassed. What they didn't say to the goth kid is, this is your truest identity. You should define yourself by your gothness. This is the most important thing about you. Here, I made you this flag. March through the street with it. Let everybody know. This is who you are and will always be. If adults had said that, then there would be, there'd still be a lot of people in my generation today walking around with dyed hair and makeup. Well, in fact, there are a lot of people in my generation walking around that way, but not because they identify as goth. And that's the point. So if this is not a fad, which it isn't, and if it is not a natural biological occurrence, which is only today finding its true expression, which it also isn't, then what's going on? Well, what's going on is social contagion, a kind of mass hysteria, a group hallucination, in effect, but one that is constructed, fabricated. Okay, This is all intentional. It is social engineering on a scale and at a level previously unknown to mankind. We've seen brainwashing before, but never like this. And never has it started so young. So this seems relevant. A video that went viral uh, this week, like a million other videos of this type. Uh, we've got, again, very young boy, four years old in this case, paraded on camera um, in the female alter ego that his mother has imposed on him, and she's very proud of it. Let's listen to that. To your face, Ty. Makeup. You put makeup on it? Mm-hmm. How old are you? Seven. No. How old are you? Seven. You're four. No, it's seven. Are you a boy or a girl? A girl. A girl? Mm-hmm. Were you born a girl? Hmm? Were you born a girl? When you were a baby, were you a girl? Yes. Are you in a boy's body, though? Yes. Yeah. Okay, tell TikTok bye. Bye. Yeah, who who bought him that makeup? This is his choice, right? Who bought him the, uh, the, the little pink dress there? Quite an interesting clip. Once you can get past the visceral revulsion... You notice the incoherent, arbitrary line the mother draws. She'll respect the boy's, she'll, she will respect the boy's self-identification, his alleged self-identification as a girl, but not his self-identification as seven years old. And why not? Age is more fluid and changing than sex, which doesn't change at all. Age is also relative. I mean, relative at least to what planet you're on. There, there are planets in the universe where that boy would actually be seven years old. So why can't he identify as seven then, if he wants? He says he's seven, and the mother has no problem saying, no, 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 you're, you're not seven. You're mistaken about how old you are, because you're a little boy, and you don't know, you don't understand how age works. Yet, well, we, 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 she won't say that to the boy about his biological sex. And notice how the boy, who is uh, supposedly a girl now, and you can't see this if you're just listening to the audio, but... They're outside, and, um, and as he's talking about the fact that he's a girl, he's trying to climb on the wall while, while talking about how he's a girl. Now, climbing on walls is a boy activity. I have two of them. That's what they do. We have the wall smudges to prove it. So this is a boy acting like a boy in every, in every way. It's just that he's been dressed this way by his mother. And the boy isn't old enough to sort through this incoherence, and sadly, he may never be able to see it for what it is even when he's older, because his brain is being rewired. 
His entire conception of himself is being altered. His mother cannot make him a girl like she wants, but she can change him drastically and permanently. And a version of this, to some degree or another, is happening to an entire generation, as it happened to much lesser degrees the generations before them. You know, we're worried about our kids being indoctrinated into critical race theory and socialism and becoming Democrats. Well, sure, we should be worried about that. But none of that, when it comes to the indoctrination of kids, none of that comes anywhere close to this. To generations of kids being completely redefined, their identities redefined, as we all sit back and watch. Now let's get to our five headlines. Inflation is making everything more expensive. Uh, the grocery, going to grocery stores is way more expensive than it used to be. And especially if you got to fill up the gas tank on your way. That's, a, that is the, uh, that's the insult to injury. And so you got to take advantage of any opportunity to save money, especially when it's as easy as this, as it is with the Get Upside app. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the Get the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. And if you use promo code Walsh, it gets even better. You get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill-up. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free. Use promo code Walsh to get up to 50%, 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making two, $300 a month in cash back. And, um, and then, unfortunately, all of that's going to be spent um, on buying gallons of milk. But still, you could use every penny you could get. We all could. You can cash out anytime your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code Walsh to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. That's code Walsh. All right. Um, so, I, you know, I had uh, fun last night. My wife, for a gift, booked me a, a ticket to this event at a distillery here in town where they make uh, Davidson Reserve. So give a shout out to them. Um, and you can blend, you can, uh, you know, you go to the distillery and you can do a tour of the distillery and then you can blend your own, your own bourbon. So you'll learn a little bit of how, about how to identify uh, the different notes and the flavors. And, um, and, uh, and I, I found out I'm very bad at that. You know, trying to sort of teach you how to, how do you pick out like the nose and then the, and then what, what comes after and then the back of your tongue and where are the different, here's a, there's a note of oak and a hint of cinnamon and vanilla. And then they give you a, you know, a, a sh- kind of a journal to write down your notes. So you figure out how do you want to blend it. And all of my notes, there were many, many lines available for, 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 to write notes, but my notes would just say, bad, didn't like, or good, me like. So that's about as, uh, as, 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 you know, as far as I could go. But here's the thing, and I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. And um, the good thing is that this is the kind of activity that I enjoy, but I would never book it myself or go to it on my own of my own volition. So, because I'm a man, so I need a wife to kind of like assign it to me. Even a fun thing that I want to do, I still need her to make that happen. Women don't understand this about men. There's a lot, there's a lot that men don't understand about women. This is one of the things that at least until you're married, uh, you don't really understand is that as, as men, we don't do activities. We're very anti-activity. Um, we don't involve ourselves in organized activities unless we're getting paid to do it. Outside of that, we just don't do organized activities. 
even if it's an activity that we're interested in doing. And so the woman has to take it upon herself to kind of figure out what sort of activities we might actually enjoy and then coax us along. And they're going to strike out a lot. I mean, 99% of the activities that your wife gets you into, you're going to hate. But there's like that 1%. So there's a lot of trial and error. And at this point, my wife has figured out the 1%, which is a great thing. Women love activities, on the other hand. For women, it's different. My, we moved to Nashville. And within like 95 minutes, my wife was involved in a book club, a mom's group. She became like an astronaut. I mean, all kinds of activities as soon as we got there. And then she immediately knew also because the, the other big thing for women. She immediately knew all of the potential family activities for the, for, for the entire year, every weekend. She just knew it. I don't know. She, she, got, she, she walks into a town and absorbs this information by osmosis or something and immediately knows. And so then I'll, I'll say to her, oh, what are we doing on Saturday? And she'll say, oh, we're taking the kids to, a, to an arts and crafts festival where we'll like paint a shoebox or whatever. And I'll say, can we not, though? Can we just sit here and do nothing? Isn't that a better plan? She says, no, we got to have family time, and then we go. And then, and then I find that I kind of enjoy painting the shoot box. So th- this is what you need uh, women for. And the other thing about my wife is um, she's my activities coordinator. She's also my dedicated troll, as you know. So um, hearkening back to what we talked about with the tea fiasco, you know, when we were at the, the whiskey tasting, she took a picture of all the whiskeys that were being blended, and uh, she posted that to Twitter with the caption, um, adding to my tea collection, which was good. Well played. Well played. So... Here's the latest on the Rittenhouse case from the Daily Wire. It says the judge overseeing the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who killed two men and wounded another during a, uh, a night of riots in Kenosha, Wisconsin, last year dismissed a, dismissed a charge of breaking curfew against the teen on Tuesday. Um, judge uh, Bruce Schrader tossed an additional curfew charge on Tuesday, ruling that prosecutors had failed to produce any evidence that a curfew had been in place. Uh, the judge left in place the misdemeanor gun charges against Rittenhouse, overruling defense's request to have it dismissed. And so this is kind of a, a small thing. Obviously, the curfew violation is the, the least of um, Rittenhouse's concerns as far as the criminal charges go. But you just see how little by little things are, the, the, the prosecution's case is chipped away. Little by little. And then there are also massive chunks that are chipped away. And the prosecution rested yesterday. Uh, so they're done presenting their case. And we can look back at it now in its totality and see that there is simply no case at all. But it's a lot worse than simply having no case. Um, what we're seeing now is, is prosecutorial corruption blatantly right in front of our eyes. Because the real big news from yesterday was a witness who took the stand and said, this was his claim, that he said under oath that the prosecution tried to get him to perjure himself. Let's, uh, let's watch that. Describe your meeting with Mr. Binger and Mr. Krause in their office. Project irrelevance. Answer it. Please. Um, I don't know the date off the top of my head, um, but I was called down to the district attorney's office. Um, I met with Mr. Binger and I don't remember his name. The individual who's in the blue. Um, and we were, I was called into a, a room, sat at a table, um, handed my police statement, um, got to read over my police statement, and then I was asked if I would like to add anything um, to the police statement, and I said I would not. Um, Mr. Binger pulled out a cell phone and showed me a video and also a photo, which was actually one photo that I brought today, 
and asked me to if I knew who a gentleman was in that photo, and I said I did not. And he asked me to, uh, he, um, he said this is uh, Joshua Zeminski. Um, I, he, Mr. Binger also has a case with him, and I am subpoenaed for that case also. And he says, well, that's who that is. He put the phone down, he picked the phone back up and says, who is this? And I confusingly said, like, Joshua Zeminski, and he's like, would you like to add that to your statement? And I just felt I didn't want to change my statement. Okay. And as a result, what did you do? Um, I hired an attorney. And that's Mr. Rose? Yes. Okay. Well, no big deal there. Just the DA suborning perjury to try to railroad an innocent man. No big deal. Nothing to worry about, I suppose. In fact, I am I am worried. I'm, I'm very worried that, and this is the cynical, pessimistic side of me coming out, that uh, which is all, it's finally emerging that I'm a, a, a cynic and pessimist. Um, I, I'm worried that Rittenhouse will still be convicted anyway, even though there's no basis for it whatsoever. But um, the jury... You know, they're not, these people are not uh, in, they, they, they weren't, we didn't dig them out of the ground. We didn't pull them out of a cave. They live in society. They know what's going on. Uh, they're, they're local. So they saw for themselves, many of them, what happened in Kenosha. And so they are also, you would, you would really hope that they would do the right thing. And there could be no excuse here for doing the wrong thing and sending an innocent man to prison. But, you know, they know that if they acquit this guy, they're probably going to be doxxed. Not, not probably. They will be. It, because the left is, is not going to tolerate that. They'll be doxxed and, uh, and there's a chance that their lives could be destroyed or worse. So that's what Rittenhouse has against him. And that's, a, that's pretty significant. So I'm very worried that, uh, that he'll get convicted anyway. And I'm worried about it. Number one, because an innocent man is now in jail, and so I feel very bad for Kyle Rittenhouse. But also on a much on a much broader level, on a larger scale, this would just be the death of legal justice in America. Really, not to put too fine a point on it. This this would be the death of legal justice. Now you might argue that 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 happened a long time ago, or it never existed. But whatever the case, after something like that. We cannot claim that we have a justice system. Because, you know, it's, it's one thing, and this is something that I've heard from people trying to minimize the perjury or the suborning of perjury by the DA. Uh, there have been plenty of people on social media saying, well, DAs do this all the time. You know, you're, you're living in your sheltered little bubble if you don't think this sort of thing happens a lot. And maybe it does. It wouldn't shock me to find out that it does. There are also innocent men who go to prison. That also happens. But for it to happen out in the open with everybody watching, that's an entirely different sort of situation. You know, for prosecutors to pull all kinds of dirty tricks uh, in dark and smoky rooms, you know, hatching plots and doing what they can to railroad innocent people. Again, I know that that has happened before. But if we're at a point where they can do it in front of everybody on national television, 
on during a case that's being watched by the entire country, everything is being is uh, on video, and they still do it. Well, then that's that's just it. There's no because in the past, if you had corrupt DAs, which again you're always going to have that, but they would have to kind of work around the law, and they would have to do do these kinds of things in the dark. Which means that there is still something that they're there's something there that they're that they have to navigate around. There is the law, there's justice, and they're trying to navigate around it and manipulate it. But if they can do it out in the open, what that means is there's no justice and there's nothing for them to even manipulate or work around. So yeah, there is there is actually a big difference between an innocent man being railroaded and sent to jail. Um, and it, it, it happening in a way where, you know, it's people don't notice and they hide it. There's a difference between that and the state basically announcing, hey, we're railroading this guy, sending him to jail. Do something about it. I bet you won't. Those are two very, very different things. Both are bad. But one is the death of, uh, of, of the legal system. It's the death of the legal system. And so that's, that, that is really what's at stake here, I believe. Okay, Jimmy Kimmel, uh, he has a theory as to why people don't like Kamala Harris. It's because America is sexist and racist. I mean, that's the only reason. It's the only reason anyone could possibly not like Kamala Harris, a phony shill of a woman who launched her political career by performing sexual favors for a married man then flunked out of the presidential race, got the job as VP for affirmative action reasons. I mean, why would anyone dislike this woman um, except because of sexism and racism? That's what Jimmy Kimmel thinks anyway. Let's listen to that. If anything can get the American people fired up, it's infrastructure. So, and Biden is alone. If Americans really aren't happy with this vice president, Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris has an approval rating of 28%, which is, makes no sense because she basically has nothing to do. I mean, it's like <laughs> criticizing a backup quarterback. Tom Brady's okay. I don't love the way Blaine Gabbert has his legs folded on the bench. I have to be honest. Kamala's approval rating uh, of 28% is even lower than the 30% who approved of Dick Cheney in 2008 after he shot a guy in the face. <laughs> I think these people are forgetting that at least 10% of, the, of those polled approved of Dick Cheney because he shot a guy in the face. <laughs> I think I know why Kamala's ratings are low, besides sexism and racism, which are the obvious ones. It's because whenever she's next to Joe, standing near him, behind him, she looks like an assassin. She looks like... <laughs> Nebula next to Thanos, ready to, right? Especially with a mask. Hey, Kamala, this guy's being a wise guy. Show him what we do to wise guys. My God. Painfully unfunny. Really is painful. But, and, and by the way, the, the hilarious jokes about shooting uh, someone in the face, does, has he, this, the elephant in the room here, Alec Baldwin, where, where are, has he made some hilarious Alec Baldwin jokes? Maybe he has. I tend to doubt it. Um, but you know why he does this? Kimmel has gone full woke strategically. And that, that's of course, is obvious. That's why they're all doing it. But he has a very personal reason. This is the tribute that he is paying to the mob so that they don't cancel him for his whole decades-long history of politically incorrect comedy. Because prior to his rebirth as this woke, politically correct boring figure. Prior to that, his whole deal was to be politically incorrect. I mean, the guy wore blackface. 
Everybody knows that he did it. He somehow has escaped scrutiny for that. Um, he had the man show that every single episode ended with uh, large-breasted, scantily-clad women jumping on trampolines. And that was really the least of it in terms of the uh, un-PC material on that show. So he knows that the only way he's got to stay one step ahead of it, uh, because they, he's, you, know, you might say, well, he's a Democrat and they know it, so they're not going to cancel him for that reason no matter what. But that, that, that's not enough considering the fact that he's a white man. Now, if he was non-white or if he was uh, non-heterosexual, that, that's one thing he could do. Maybe Jimmy Kimmel should just come out as gay or transgender or something, and then he could start being funny again, if he ever was funny, which is arguable. And he'll, he'll, then he'll have some cover. But for now, as a heterosexual white male, uh, even just being Democrat, being kind of vaguely left-wing isn't good enough. So every single day on his show, he has to bring his offerings before the woke gods with this kind of stuff. So they'll let, they'll let him uh, continue, at least for one more day, being uncanceled. That's basically what's going on there. All right, I got to play this for you. Um, and it relates back to what we started the show with. How do we end up in a situation where um, you know, millions of kids, a huge percentage of kids identify as LGBT. Well, we know that this is social engineering that goes on. Uh, it's, it happens in a lot of homes, and it certainly happens in the public school system, and uh, especially in public school systems in Virginia. Loudoun County is not the only insane school district in Virginia. Uh, Fairfax is just as bad, if not worse. So here's the latest out of uh, Fairfax. Let's watch this. Some Virginia students as young as 12 years old will be asked about their sex life, dating life, home life, and more. 12. Now, these are the kinds of topics that will be on the 2021 Fairfax County Youth Survey, which is a collaboration between Fairfax County government and Fairfax County Public Schools. 7 News reporter Nick Minock has the details all new at 5. 8th, 10th, and 12th grade students in Fairfax County will have the option of participating in the 2021 Fairfax County Youth Survey. The survey begins with asking students how old they are, whether they are male, female, or transgender. And the survey asks students their sexual orientation, their race, and their experience at school. The survey also asked students several questions on how they spend their time after school, questions on their home life, bullying, their feelings during the past 12 months, plus how often students use tobacco, alcohol, and other drugs. It doesn't stop there. The Fairfax County Youth Survey asked students questions about their sexual behavior, including questions like, have you ever had sexual intercourse? How old were you when you had sexual intercourse for the first time? How many people have you had sexual intercourse with? And during the past three months, how many people have you had sexual intercourse with? There are more explicit questions on this survey. We posted it on WJLA.com, and we should mention this isn't the first time. Uh, yeah, so there, there you go. I mean, keep in mind, this, this is not anything new, which certainly does not excuse it. I just want you to know how widespread this is. I can remember when I was in public school getting surveys very similar to that. Now, uh, there weren't any questions about being transgender back then because that, didn't, that basically didn't exist but, um, or was all but non-existent. But uh, in terms of asking about your sexual activity and that sort of thing, drug use, all of that, what's, what's going on at home, you know, um, I can remember surveys like that when I went to public school. 
at from from a young age. So the public school system has been doing this, and and the question is, um, well, several questions. One of them being, how is this any of your business? Uh, it, it is none of your business. Why why do you need to know? Why does anyone in the public school system? And I don't care if the surveys are anonymous and kids can choose to take it. First of all, any, any, anything, anytime we're told that, oh, kids have a choice in the context of public school, you, you always have to take that with a grain of salt. There are a lot of things that are allegedly a choice in public school that really, that really aren't. Uh, because the, this, the school system has a way of, you know, they, they have a captive audience and the kids are there in that government building for those many hours a day for so much of their of their lives through their formative years. And so the schools have a way of compelling and convincing kids to make choices that maybe they wouldn't otherwise make. But whether it's a choice or not, whether it's anonymous or not, there is no reason why you need to know this information. There's no reason why this is any of your business. As I always say, this there is no moral difference, really, between something like this, a survey given to 13-year-olds at school, asking them about their sexual history. No difference between that and an adult, a strange man, going up to a kid on the playground and saying, hey, uh, have you ever had sex? Tell me about your sexual history. No difference. For, For a long time, we have kind of carved out and this seems to be changing now as parents have woken up a little bit to the realities of what's going on in the school system. But, but for a long time, we had carved out this massive exception for the school system and, uh, and sort of implicitly or explicitly agreed that they should have access to information that no other adult, we would ever let any other adult access. They should know, you know, through surveys like this, also keep in mind that the school system is going to know things about the kids in its care that their parents don't even know. And that's the whole idea. This is a way, as cults always do, this is, this is kind of like brainwashing 101. In fact, I would bet I've never been to a, a, a Scientology center, but I would bet that if you went to Scientology, you wanted, you know, if, you went, if you were curious about Scientology, or you went into any other cult, uh, very early on in the indoctrination brainwashing procedure, you'd be filling out a survey very similar to that. Because they want to know all this stuff about you. But the other thing that cults do is they want to sever your attachment to anyone else in your life. Now, cult brainwashing is all about isolation. Now, don't worry about your parents. If we're talking about adults, don't worry about your kids and your spouse. Okay, that's not who you should be worried about. We want you to be attached to, to this, to the, to the group, uh, to the cult. And that's, what school, that's how school systems have operated. That is largely how we have ended up with 40% LGBT identification among, uh, among kids. Because of the cult-like approach of public school. And this is, this, is, this is the project early on. I mean, as soon as you drop your kid off for preschool or kindergarten, they're going to set to work to sever your child's attachment 
from you, kind of kind of cut that cord, and then re- not because they want independent kids, they want kids to be independent thinkers. No, they're going to refasten that attachment to themselves. Um, but as I said, I think people are finally maybe maybe finally waking up to this, which is which is one good uh, development. Here's one other thing: there's a new Marvel movie out. Apparently, nobody likes it, but it's directed by a woman which means you aren't allowed to not like it. Here's a critic from, uh, I think he's from Variety, explaining why. If you don't like this, this movie, it's just because you're, you're a sexist. Eternals from director and co-writer Chloe Zhao has opened in theaters. Critics have weighed in on it, and it has been very divisive, actually drawing the lowest rated Rotten Tomatoes score of any MCU film in history thus far. First of all, Elizabeth, it is not a bad movie in the slightest. I think it's one of Marvel's best efforts thus far. has great action. It focuses a lot on story. It's diverse. It has great characters. All that. I think this speaks to a larger problem that is in the industry. Anytime a woman takes on the action genre, which has been typically made for men to helm, people come harder on that filmmaker when she takes it on. I think it's, I think it's the issue that needs to be addressed because it does not draw that criticism that it's been receiving. I agree with you 100%. Right when you started talking about this, I said, hmm, imagine that. The hmm. film that is directed by a woman has the lowest score on Rotten Tomatoes. Not warranted. They, re- they only know one tune. That's all they know. You got to you gotta feel uh, sorry for them a little bit. They're, they're humming the only tune they know. Um, yeah, of course, the exact opposite is actually true. The exact opposite. You, it, 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 women directors are given much more. I mean, critics bend over backwards to find reasons to like films directed by women. That's the, that's the reality. Now I haven't seen Eternals, but um, something tells me if it's getting a if it if a superhero movie helmed by a woman and starring a diverse cast is getting bad reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, it must be the worst movie ever made because they will look for any re- they will cling on to anything that they can find. They'll look for any handle to cling on to anything so that they could justify giving it a positive review. And if they can't, I mean, I almost want to see this movie now. Just because it's that bad. This is a woke Marvel. Critics love Marvel movies. Um, and they, they love woke movies. They love movies that are, that are directed by women. The guy there says a, di- a diverse cast. They love all of that. What could possibly have gone wrong in that movie that would make them give it a bad review? That's amazing. I'm amazed by that. You have to try hard. I mean, you ha- as a woman director, you have to try very, very hard to earn bad reviews. Got to respect it in some ways. Um, why don't people like it? Well, probably because it's a bad movie. But, but also con- consider this, this as well, that uh, maybe people are, in, in terms of the audience anyway, maybe not critics, but uh, the audience might be tired of superhero movies a little bit by now. Like 20 years straight of, of 50 superhero movies a year. It's like at a certain point, maybe people get tired of it. That's my theory. Okay, um, oh, one other thing I wanted to mention, I almost forgot, um, as I teased in the opening, Edward Durr was the truck driver in New Jersey who ran, this is a long, long shot campaign for the state Senate. Um, as you probably heard, he spent like 150 bucks on his campaign. He basically spent no money on it, had no advertising. Um, this is a, he's a, a truck driver, so a normal guy. And he decided that he was tired of what was going on with his local politics. And so he did 
the most American thing imaginable. And he said, I'm going to run for office myself and try to make a change. I'm not just going to, I'm not going to just vote or I'm going to do more than that. I'm going to try to get into office myself. And he won. And it's amazing. And he, and he unseated a powerful incumbent, which is an incredible story. But he's a, but he's a Republican truck driver, uh, which means the media, of course, hates him. And so they're looking for a reason. This is, this is the Washington Post. They say, Edward Durr was such a long-shot candidate in his New Jersey st- state Senate race that no one seemed to notice something rather striking about him. He had a history of posting bigoted, misogynistic, derogatory comments on social media. Um, and the headline says, in fact, that the, that the social media posts were racist. His racist social media posts. But then it goes on to expl- to tell us, what, what are the racist social media posts? So that's in the next paragraph here. And um, I don't know, you, you, you stop me when you hear racism. Muhammad was a pedophile, he wrote in, t- in a 2019 tweet that also described Islam as a false religion and a cult of hate. In other online posts since last year, he has called the coronavirus the China virus, blamed an influx of illegal aliens for spreading disease, used the moto- motto of the far-right QAnon conspiracy movement, and compared vaccination mandates to the Holocaust. He also denigrated Vice President Harris on Facebook, writing that she had earned her position only as a result of her race and gender. Well, how dare he say that? I I can't imagine anyone would make that accusation against Kamala Harris, except when I did just like five minutes ago. So um, that's it. That's as far as I could tell. I I skimmed through a little bit more here. Um, And as far as I can tell... That's, 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 that's it. Those are the racist bigot. Where's the racism exactly? Now, let me ask you something, Washington Post. Paul Fairhees, who wrote this. Paul, you do know that um, Islam is not a race, right? That's a religion. And so Edward Durr, I don't know what his religion is, assuming that he's, well, he's, he's not Muslim. So we know that. And so if you're not a member of a religion, then that means that you think it's a false religion. If you didn't think it was a false religion, then you'd be part of that religion, wouldn't you? So every single person who is not Muslim on earth thinks that Islam is a false religion. Otherwise, they would be Muslim. They might not all say it, but they think it. Just like every non-Christian person thinks that Christianity is a false religion. It is a religion that is false. But even that aside, how is that racist? Muhammad was a pedophile. Well, it is a historical fact that Muhammad was involved with, what, a nine-year-old girl? So are you suggesting that, that, are you defending that, Washington Post? But even if if that's not true, Muhammad is not a race. He's a historical figure. Uh, Other than that, influx of illegal aliens are helping to spread disease. Well, that's obviously true. Um... China virus. He says a motto of a motto of the QAnon conspiracy movement, but they don't notice they don't tell you what the motto is that he used. Because it was probably something like what are they recently we've been told that uh, mottos like protect our children, things like that. Those are those are mottos of the QAnon conspiracy movement. So, this is a just a totally false hit piece trying to you know, p- penalize this guy for getting involved in local politics and committed. What's the real sin he committed? Well, the real sin he committed is that he, is that he beat a Democrat. How dare he? He must be racist. And so that's what we learned. All right. Now time for the comment section. Daily cancellations are the law and order of the day. We the sweet baby game. 
Mike says, Matt's love of speaking about home financing is astonishing. Well, thank you for noticing that. It is one of my great passions, as you know. And uh, I'm just glad, I'm glad you picked up on that. And, um, you know, it's, it's good to know when my passions come through because that's what this show is all about. Uh, let's see. Another comment says, Matt, you were a beekeeper. So mocking George Hudson for being an entomologist is dangerously ironic. Yeah, I, I was a first. No, I'm not. Not I was a beekeeper. I'm still a beekeeper. Once a beekeeper, always a beekeeper, even though I don't currently keep bees. I still identify as a beekeeper, so please respect that. But I also have not tried to change um, time itself to accommodate me. Okay? When I am beekeeping, if I want to go out and do some beekeeping and it's dark out, then I feel disappointed and I say, well, I can't beekeep right now because it's dark out. I don't go lobby the UN or something to, can we change the clocks and try to... Maybe go to NASA. Is there some way you can slow down the rotation of the Earth? I don't do that because I'm not a megalomaniac like George Hudson, one of the great villains of history. Um, Ronan says, Matt, you keep saying that the number one way to help the Daily Wire's legal case is to become a member. For those of us who already have a membership or want to do more, is there anything else we can do? Um, Yeah, you can donate your internal organs. Uh, We keep them in a vat in the break room, so... Just send those in. Don't ask any more questions. Uh, Let's see. Christopher says, two years ago, Matt came out against Daylight Savings, calling it stupid. Last year, he called it an amazing, magical thing that we do. This year, he switched back to calling it stupid. I can't wait for next year for Matt to call it the force which keeps our society intact when he wakes up late for church but is saved by the extra hour. Uh, I, I I shouldn't have to tell you, Christopher, this is my truth. You know, this is my lived experience. My experience changes, much like the time changes. And do I have to tell you now what's going to happen to you for mocking me in, who I, while I am living in my truth and speaking my truth? You're obviously banned from the show. Um, let's see. What else do we got? Uh, personal account says, Matt, you're misinterpreting the dog. It's not that he dislikes you. Don't be nicer to him. He recognizes you as the alpha of your family. That's why he barks at you. He's challenging the leader. Dominate over him without being abusive. Puff out your chest. Walk with a straight back and with certainty. Walk into the room without looking at him. Walk through him instead of around him. Walk through him. Like what? Kick him out of the way? What are you talking? Walk through him. Get a bit fiery back at him when he barks at you. Speak using your core. Reinforce that you are the alpha of the whole family. Jess says, man, it's not that you haven't earned your place in the pack. It's that you haven't asserted yourself as alpha, which really should have been done as soon as the dog was adopted. There's still hope though. And if you want the barking at you to stop, you're going to need to figure out how to assert your dominance as alpha. So I, there's a lot of comments like this. People are chiming in on my, uh, on my the, the dog quandary, which I appreciate. What I'm getting, and this is the, the theme, like all the comments, what I'm getting from this is that I need to be, I need to be meaner to the dog is what you're telling me. That's what you're telling me. And I can do that. I mean, in, in general, anytime someone tells me that I can solve a problem by being an even meaner son of a you know, that's, I can do that. That I can do. Though it is annoying to hear that this, that this animal thinks he's the alpha in my home. Where does he come off? And, you know, but then he also runs away. Like, he'll bark and then he runs away. So, you coward. Show yourself, you coward. He thinks that I'm some sort of threat, but then he doesn't. Now, he's all bark and no bite, which I guess is good. I guess I would really prefer that. 
Well, as most of you know, the Daily Wire filed a lawsuit against the federal government in order to find to fight these uh, tyrannical vaccine mandates. And the great news is that within a week of filing the lawsuit, the Daily Wire has already seen a huge boost to the case. We've already had a, a one victory on the way, hopefully, to the ultimate victory. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals issued a temporary stay over the weekend, preventing Biden's mandate from actually going into effect, citing grave statutory and constitutional issues. Uh, which is excellent news, but it doesn't mean the fight is over. The fight really is just beginning. It's not just the Daily Wire's employees that we're fighting for here. It's the medical freedom for all Americans. If you believe in your medical freedom and you want to support the fight against tyranny, take a minute to sign our petition against Biden's authoritarian mandate. The Daily Wire has a goal of collecting one million signatures, which would send a powerful message to Biden and the legacy media that the American people will not comply. Hundreds of thousands of Americans have already signed the petition in just a few days, and we believe that we can get uh, 500,000 by midnight tonight. But we need many more people to stand up with us to reach that goal. So please head to dailywire.com slash do not comply to sign the petition today and help us get to 500,000 signatures by midnight tonight. And also, our senile leader was elected to one of the most powerful positions in the world a year ago now. And it's just time that we sit back and unpack his administration's failures and how it's affecting the American people. Tune in tonight to catch an all new episode of Backstage where we discuss the turning of the tide and we will all talk about whether or not we like Joe Biden, and I'm going to be interested to find out what the other guys have to say on that subject. Join me, Ben Shapiro, Jeremy Boring, Michael Knowles, and Andrew Clavin tonight at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central on DailyWire.com and on our YouTube channel, Daily Wire. But wait, there's more. Even though we've, uh, we're locked in the middle of a battle with the federal government, the Daily Wire won't let that stop us from growing our platform. We're launching Daily Wire now, which means you'll be able to stream all of your favorite Daily Wire shows on Vizio SmartCast. Tune in to watch Candace discuss current events or watch any of the other hosts. There's always something interesting to stream. Watch Daily Wire now exclusively on Vizio Watch Free Plus streaming app on channel 162 to access the content you love 24 hours a day, seven days a week, only on Vizio SmartCast. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today we're canceling Yale University, and there are, of course, many reasons to cancel Yale, many reasons to cancel all, all Ivy League universities, along with the whole university system, starting with the fact that the whole thing is a giant scam, a Ponzi scheme, bilking millions of young people out of billions of dollars um, collectively and giving them nothing of value in return for it. But that is all mostly beside the point for today. Yale is canceled for this study, as reported by The Independent. It says, a survey has revealed that more Americans than ever are fearful of the ravages of man-made climate change, causing many to suffer anxiety or depression. Yale University's climate change in the American Mind survey found that an all-time record 70% of Americans are now very or somewhat worried about global warming. Researchers added the percentage of those very worried increased 10 points since March. Americans' perception that global warming is a threat has increased dramatically, and for times, for the first time, a majority of Americans now say that the people... Uh, in the United States are being harmed right now by global warming. Noah Oderberg, a psychologist working in Oakland, it's an unfortunate last name, Oderberg. Hopefully he didn't have any, you know, BO problems in school because that would just would have been way too cruel. He told ABC7, you may have, you may have heard of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. A psychiatrist came up with pre-PTSD because it's not a trauma that's already occurred. It's a fear of a future trauma. So it's the new idea and uh, it involves anxiety and depression. It's very new, and the field of psychology is not prepared for it. Eco-anxiety is a growing problem among young people, um, and so on and so on. Okay. Now, first of all, I suppose I really should be canceling the psychiatry field for this, but I think I've already done that multiple times. And um, it's for reasons like this, pre-PTSD. So pre-post-traumatic 
stress. As a matter of basic linguistic logic, why wouldn't you just call it pre-TSD? That sounds better too. Or better yet, call it nothing. We don't need a new term, a new acronym for the fear of things that haven't happened yet. That's not pre-PTSD. That's just called anxiety. That's precisely what anxiety is by definition. Stress and fear and worry about the unknown, that, what, that which might happen. That's anxiety. It's the fear of possibility. Children feel anxiety in the dark because of what monsters they imagine might be lurking in it. Turn the lights on, the anxiety goes away. The unknown turns into the known. So this is basic psychology. We don't need a new term to describe it. Also, most people complaining about PTSD in general don't really have PTSD. Most people on earth, certainly in the West, have never been traumatized by anything. They only imagine they've been traumatized because they're neurotic and they're self-absorbed and they're weak. Trauma is real. People do suffer from it. But it's not nearly as common as the psychiatry industry leads us to believe. And pre-trauma, trauma from something that hasn't even happened yet, is definitely not real. It can't be real. You can't be traumatized by something if it hasn't happened. You're not traumatized by your fears of the future. You're uncomfortable. You're sad. You're anxious. These are all human emotions. Every human deals with them. Get over yourself and live your life. But of course, here I am engaging with the results of the survey as if the results are real when they aren't. How do I know it isn't real? Do I have a, a study or a survey of my own to debunk it? No, I just have common sense, which is often a better judge. And based on my common sense and my experience as a human being in this world, I know that I have never in my life, even one time, even once, met someone in real life and had a conversation with them where they divulged that their top concern in life is climate change. I've never met anyone who would say that. I've talked to a lot of people, as, as we all have, about their worries and fears. That has never been at the top of anybody's list that I've talked to, or even on the list. And yet 70% feel this way? 70%? Now, you could call this anecdotal. That's fine. Here's something that's not anecdotal. This is simply a fact about society. Almost nobody, to include the climate change activist, is actually acting like they're worried about climate change at all. The claim that most people are deeply worried about man-caused climate change is a theory that predicts certain things about the world, right? So if, if you didn't know anything about society and someone told you that climate change is a big problem and uh, the world's going to come to an end because of we're driving cars and stuff and uh, everyone's really worried about it, you know, and, and, and you didn't know anything. You'd been, you'd been living in a cave all this time and you didn't know anything about society and you were told that and you believed it. You would go out into society expecting to see that reality reflected in the way people live their lives and go about their, their daily lives. And it's just not at all. Because when I look around, I don't see those predictions verified. Nobody, with only the rarest exception, is living in a way that you would expect people to live if they really believed that humanity was on the brink of extinction because of modern technology and fossil fuels and all the rest. So environmentalism is one giant pageant. It's a charade. None of these people are making any significant changes to their lives. They're not. Now, there is one caveat here. I'm claiming that almost none of the adults pretending to care about climate change actually do, and I stand by that. Almost all of their eco-fears and anxieties are made up. They're invented. It's, it's a lie. But that only applies to the adults. I am certainly willing to believe that the psychological terror campaign being waged against kids 
on this subject is indeed sincerely effective. Anxiety comes from the unknown, and for children, almost everything is an unknown. They are ignorant, they're innocent, they're confused. They're also helpless. And that's why adults, adults who are not scumbags anyway, shield their kids from even valid worries and concerns because there's nothing the kids can do with the information. So if I thought that I was going to lose my job and, uh, and lose my house, we'd all be homeless. That'd make a lot of people very happy. Wouldn't make me happy. And that would be a very real thing to, to worth worrying about, right? Um, and a very real risk. But I wouldn't tell my kids. I would shoulder that psychological burden myself alone because there's nothing the kids can do with it or about it. I wouldn't sit my kids down and say, you know, daddy's really worried. I mean, there's a chance it might not happen, but I might lose my job. We might be homeless. You're going to lose everything that you, uh, all of your possessions will be, will be, will be gone. Like I, would not, I wouldn't sit, the, sit them down and say that to them because it's not a weight that they should be made to carry because they can't carry it anywhere or do anything with it. All they can do with it is suffer helplessly. So that's why we shelter them, why we should shelter them. Let them be free and joyful and innocent for as long as they can. So all of this is a long way of saying that even if the world was going to come to an end in 10 years because there are too many soccer moms driving minivans, I still wouldn't tell my kids. I still wouldn't tell them. Why would I? All they could do with that information is be afraid. They'd live their last 10 years in fear. And for what? So even if it was true that that the apocalypse was upon us, you would still be an abusive, selfish piece of crap for telling your kids about it. But now consider the fact that it's not true. And no adult really, truly deep in their heart believes that it's true. And yet many of them still voice this nonsense on their kids. You've got a bunch of maladjusted, unstable, miserable, fearful adults who have decided that that their kids shouldn't be allowed to have joy and innocence in their lives either. You know, they say to their kids, basically, if I can't figure out how to be happy in this world, then neither should you. They tell the kids horror stories about climate change and scare them about the coronavirus and spin wild yarns about systemic racism and Nazis and white supremacists roaming the streets and purposefully drain all of the hope and joy out of these kids' lives, turning them into shaky, nervous, high-strung wrecks like themselves. That's what makes this all so damn sinister. And it's why we should say that not only Yale, but all environmentalists, especially those needlessly scaring kids, are today canceled. And that'll do it for us today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Ali Hinkle. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. John Bickley here, Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief. Wake up every morning with our new show, Morning Wire. On today's episode, a new federal indictment further undermines the Steele dossier. The UN Climate Summit raises serious human rights questions. And Elon Musk makes more headlines. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. Morning Wire. 